Joining us now, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, live from Atlanta, our good friend David Locke. What's up, David? How are you? Hey, we're great, man. Uh, how are you? How's uh, the lovely southeastern United States? I got off a bus. I walked right into a hotel room. I've been on a bunch of calls since then, and I have no idea. Um, but it's 7.10 here. I'm not hungry. i got to figure out where I'm going to dinner. I don't even have a dinner reservation. That's like the all. That's my like way I travel. So I have nothing set up tonight. Uh, you are a big foodie, David, and I don't even, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. What's, what's the best food city you go to? Houston. Interesting. Los Angeles. Uh, why Houston? Houston? Um, so I'm stealing this a little bit from David Chang, um, but I think Houston is the best restaurant city in America right now, other than maybe Los Angeles, for the following reasons. It has incredible wealth, so that there's – there's a, a ability for anybody to open numerous types of restaurants. It has massive population. It's probably the fourth or fifth most populated city in America. So, again, you can get lots of different types of restaurants with a niche level. It has probably, I think of Houston as maybe the most wide-ranging, diverse city that exists in the different ethnicity that exists. Um, and then also, um, particularly from uh, people coming, immigration into city, both you know, into Houston, both obviously um, the Mexican immigration or the whole Central American immigration, or there's just a huge Asian immigration. There's a massive African population too. So that adds to a tremendous flavor to it. And then I actually, and this is what I'm stealing from David Chang, I think the most interesting is there's not a lot of culinary tradition. And so therefore they're able to go do what they want to do um, and not have to, um, and they don't feel as though they have to follow through on some sort of way food is cooked. I think New York's pretty stuck in tradition. Um, New Orleans is certainly stuck in tradition. And so I think that you have some freedom in Houston. They also have my personal favorite chef, um, whose name is Chris Shepard. And he did one of the coolest things ever, which is he won the James Beard Award, which is, has nothing to do with James Harden, but is probably, you know, the equivalent of winning the MVP and then promptly closed his restaurant because he would never know again whether anyone liked it or not because they once he's won the James Beard Award, everyone's just coming. So he then reopened new restaurants because then he'd find out whether they liked them, one of which is the most incredible idea, which is called one – this is more than you wanted, but it's called One-Fifth. And One-Fifth is a restaurant which he opens and runs it for a something like either nine or 12 months or so as one menu and then closes it and reopens it as a new restaurant. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm recovering from, the, from uh, the aspect of this that you didn't have any hometown bias and go with the San Francisco area. I, I was a little surprised by that. I think San Francisco's a little bit of that stuck in tradition. I think, and you know what? San Francisco's out of reach for most people. The wealth is so abundant that I think it's almost impossible for anybody to eat at some of the nicest restaurants. We, we did a huge extravaganza, uh, went to Quince, which is a three-time Michelin star restaurant. And I mean, it was stupid. Like I'm, I was embarrassed at the end of the night that I had just spent, it was incredible, 
mind blowing. It was like art. It was like going to see Hamilton on Broadway. It was, but it was stupid. Like, I mean, I should never spend that kind of money for it. So I just think the best restaurants in San Francisco are out of reach. So, David, now that you've had time to uh, think further on what you saw in that game last night, I'm curious to know uh, what your characterization is of of what took place in that game when the Jazz get the big lead and then they give it away and uh, they're down seven and it seems like desperation is uh, soaking them. And then the next thing you know, they're uh, coming back like gangbusters. Uh, Quite a roller coaster ride. So I'm going to talk about two things I saw last night. One is the first half was the best 24 minutes or 120 minutes at each, you know, 24 at each position that we've seen all year. They were great. I mean, they were great. The ball moved. Uh, they were co- connected defensively. The rotations were fabulous. Like Quinn has fiddled and worked with guys and done different things and how he had guys and, and, and everyone looked like they were in their right role. Um, it, it was, it was awesome. Um, I, I thought that was really, it was good. And then let's down, what, 79, 70 or 77, 70 or whatever. You, you just don't win that game unless you've got a little moxie and something special to who you are that makes you have an incredible desire to win. And Boyan Bogdanovich and Donovan Mitchell were really special down the stretch. And that's probably as important as anything else to this team. So I thought we saw the amazing growth. I think they threw like 340 passes last night. They've been averaging 290 for a season. Their opening night of the season, they threw 260 passes. Um, I think everybody who played more than three minutes and 35 seconds had an assist last night. Um, You know, most guys... Like, Emmanuel Moutier had 32 touches and 28 passes. Like, that is incredible. That's great growth for him. You know, that's him really. Boyan and Donovan, you know, they're not passing much. They're they're there to score. And so everybody else better be passing. And um, the way that they, they played those stretches was just awesome. I thought they were terrific. David Locke is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, David, we've talked about the bench a lot this year, and I remember uh, talking to you during the offseason after this team had been assembled, and you mentioned that scoring off the bench was going to be an issue, and you certainly were right about that. Did you expect um, the bench to struggle this much, and what do you think about Quinn's solution of mixing up the lineups to help out? Quinn's tried everything uh, admirably and and different approaches. Um, And I still think it's going to be a work in in process. And I I think, you know, having Mike Conley out for an extended period of time now is going to make it maybe even more difficult um, because I think that the part of what he was able to do is he had, you know, now you don't have, you can't have Mike recircle back. Um, so I, I think that's a, you know, that's a real problem, frankly. Uh, but I, I think there's still more to be done. And I think Quinn's tried everything imaginable. He's tried to unlock guys by giving them larger roles. He's tried to unlock guys by having them take lo- lesser roles. Um, I, I think there's a lot of really, you know, this is where Quinn is a master. 
Um, and then also you just have a team that is, you know, that is built well and, and with a good culture. And so things usually work out. So um, I, I think it's pretty impressive what he's tried, even though most of it hasn't worked. And the fact that he continues to try, and we'll see what happens next. David, I want to circle back to those final five minutes. Is that kind of performance sustainable? Are Donovan and, and Bogdanovich good enough to do that on a regular basis? Sure. Being down seven with four minutes left is not particularly sustainable, but I've only because I think, you know, they happen to be playing a team on that night who has a clutch problem. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I may pull a muscle right now, patting um, Ron and I on our back. Okay. And Ron three rooms down the hallway. So it might really, Oh, Whoa, pulled the muscle. Here we go. Um, if you were listening to our radio broadcast last night, you would have heard us mention that Orlando is 22nd in the league in clutch performance um, when we moved to the five-minute mark and that Evan Fournier is shooting about 32% and Nikola Vukovic is shooting 31 and that Markel Fultz has actually been their best clutch player in games late and that they have a clutch problem. So it is for Boyan and, and Donovan to do that, I think, is sustainable. But um, – they happen to be playing a team who is not have does not have that does not have either of those stars and therefore is not a good late game player. Uh, by the way, Fournier is now twenty nine percent in the clutch and four of fifteen from three. He did miss one last night, and Nikola Vukovic is now five of fifteen in the clutch and one of five from three. I, I'm sorry, I'll have to go see Eric Waters now to repair my pulled muscles. <laughs> David Locke with us uh, on the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's talk about Atlanta for a second, David. Um, <clears throat> I know they're without John Collins uh, dealing with the, the PED issue. Uh, Trey Young had like 42 points, but the, the Hawks somehow still lost by over 20 points to the Knicks last night, which is absolutely absurd. But I thought that this was a team on the come, and their record certainly would not represent that. What's going on with the Hawks? Yeah. When a team allows 140 points in New York, can I get your pie chart of what you attribute that to from, like, New York? Is it, like, what percentage is Nick's offense? What percentage is New York the city? What is the gold club? What, what, what are you attributing, what are you attributing <laughs> this to? Hey, are we talking the hangover effect? That had to be, what, 15% at least. All I know is that there's some crazy note that, like, when there was a franchise in New Orleans for the first time, no team won their first game there. Kind of like uh, the um, uh, the Las Vegas hockey team, uh, the the Golden Knights or whatever. They had, their home record is just incredible. Is it really? Is that true? It, it was their first year in the league. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Their their Stanley Cup year, their home record. I'll, I'll have to go back and look it up for you, but it was off the charts. Um, yeah, so I think that's what happened last night. But why are the Hawks better? I thought they'd be better and they stink. <laughs> um, well, I think the first thing, I don't know. I haven't watched them all year, so I really can't answer the question. But from 30,000 feet, my answer would be that when we talk about how much better they're going to be, we were expecting five players in their third year or less to be the key players, which means that we all had a lobotomy when we decided to think that that was going to work. Right? So Trey Young in the second, Kevin Herter in the second, 
Hunter in his first, Cam Reddish in his first, and John Collins in his third year. Like, that's the key to their team, right? Hmm. Like, come on. Like, I got it. Like, we all got excited about Atlanta and decided they're going to win a lot of games and this and that. Like, it's really, you know, let's not blame, let's not blame our idiocy on Atlanta. David, obviously going up against the Hawks, you talk about the Hornets after that. I'm interested in that game against the Heat. What in the world is going on with that team? Because they are really, really good. Except for they're not recently. Um, I'm actually more interested. It's interesting you say that. This is where I think my perspective is really different than everybody by traveling with a team. I'm really interested in the first two because it takes great discipline to make sure that you're prepared and ready to fight off Atlanta and beat Charlotte Hornets basketball team, maybe Atlanta, the city as well. Um, you know, and, and win these first two, I mean, those are, these are the games you need to win and you probably should win. Um, and then Miami, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough one to go get. Now, certainly if you can go get the first two and then play with gravy and go steal and suddenly have won what we would have won six in a row by that point. Now you've suddenly changed your season. So I, I do, I do hear what you're saying in that regard, but it only works if you get the first two. Um, Miami's really good, but they have won a little. Statistically, they're a little bit. Their win loss record's a little bit ahead of where their point differential should be. They've won 19 games, and they probably should have only won 17, which leads you to believe they'll come back a little bit. And then the second thing is that in the last two weeks, their defense is ranked 22nd in the league, which is really stunning. And it's actually as stunning as ours being 20th. because I actually thought Utah and Miami would be probably defenses one and two in the NBA this year, probably Milwaukee right in there. I don't mean to discredit them. But if you had given me the five top defenses in the NBA to start the year, I would have felt really comfortable telling you it was Utah, Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and maybe the Lakers um, or, or the Clippers, depending on the games they played. So three of them are close. But Utah and Miami, who I really thought would be elite defensive teams this year, are not. Um, they're, Utah's now ninth and Miami's 11th, but in the last two weeks, Miami's 22nd and Utah's 20th. So, curious. I'm not sure. I'm interested to see. They're playing Philly right now, aren't they? Uh, you give me. I believe so. If you give me a second, I can give you an update on David. The, let, uh, me follow, let me follow and, that and, question. And with, I need to point out, um, for various reasons, and this is really just for um, Gordon's knowledge here. Um, Miami has my new favorite NBA player. Who is? Duncan Robinson, who started his basketball career at Williams College. And I, mm-hmm. this week, have become um, favorable toward Williams College. And your reason? You can probably figure it out. <laughs> so, David, I, let, let me back up on the question I asked you before. You said that you were really interested in the Hawks and the Hornets games. Uh, would you feel that way if the Jazz were hitting on all cylinders right now? Would you be looking forward to that Heat game more if the, if the Jazz were were just, you know, cruising along uh, being uh, an elite team in the West? Um. No, I think there's you're on to something. There's something that I'm still not quite sure who we are. And so, I mean, I think it became abundantly clear on that road trip that we're not quite Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Toronto, 
the Lakers right now. And so can we um, can we prove that we are I, I yes. Sorry, I'm not saying this very well. But I want to make sure that we're right now we're about middle of the pack of, of the good teams, right? So we're there's probably five teams that are the elite teams in the NBA right now, to some extent, depending who you put in there. And then there's a next tier of us that's in that next group. And, yes, I'd like to make sure that we're in that next tier and there's not something more significantly wrong. David, real quick uh, before we uh, let you go, the inaugural Las Vegas Golden Knights had a home record of 29-10-2, which was uh, number one in the league. And there are three seasons of existence at home. They're 63-28 and uh, 10, it looks like. So for... Any, um, I, I guess, uh, a new franchise that's got to be that's got to be top notch, right? That's pretty good. Um, so the New Orleans Hornets first came in the league in two thousand two, two thousand three, right? Yep. Let's go see what happened. This was a team that was okay. Their they, their point differential. Um, ranked them about 12th in the NBA. Um, so they won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve straight home games to start the year. <laughs> I, I'm with you, man. The hangover effect is real. It is real, and it does affect uh, young people in their 20s. They were a 500 team that won 12 straight home games to start the year. <laughs> they were two well, and six, they were two and six on the road and 12 and 0 at home. <laughs> hey, Bourbon Street is fun. I've been there. That's a good time. Probably not conducive to playing a, a, a athletic contest the next day. No. And then I don't know what was wrong uh, with the L.A. Oh, I know what. They, then they finally played a Monday night home game. Bourbon Street closed early on a Sunday, and the L.A. Clippers came in and won. See? Explained. It's real. Uh, David, thank you very, very much, as always. And uh, we'll catch up with you in the pregame coming up tomorrow. I do want to point out that the Utah Jazz were the first team to play a road game in New Orleans and lost 100-75. to Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Carl Malone was 5 of 16 Deshaun Stevenson was 5 of 10 Sean Stevenson had the best game We'll have to go ask Matt Harper He played in that game We'll see what he remembers about it We should ask Matt We absolutely should And uh, hey, that's basically a homecoming for Carl You know, give him a break He's probably seeing some right. friends They petered out in the fourth uh, quarter Got outscored 32 to 11 <laughs> well, that's when the dehydration really took hold. Uh, thank you, David. We appreciate you. See you. Bye. David Locke, our good friend, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.